They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. podcast with your host Juan Ayala and welcome back to another episode of the Juan Juan podcast I'm your host as always make sure to follow me on social media at the Juan Juan podcast everywhere and make sure to follow the patreon patreon.com slash the Juan Juan podcast and today we have Mira Taylor with us from Moon and Rune what's up Mira how you doing hey not much thank you very much for having me I'm looking forward to uh repeating uh, an already wonderful discussion that we've had <laughs> yeah this is our second time meeting so the other episode we did with mark it was an impromptu type of thing will be out on march 21st so a couple of weeks here and then we we had a crazy impromptu conversation there about a little bit of everything yes <laughs> <laughs> which was great so i wanted to bring you on because i was so interested the first time we talked about talked and i was like let's talk about some stuff, some more. So here we are. And on this show, I like to plug people's social media and, and their links ahead of time. And then we do it again at the end. So if you want, you can share your, your links, uh, you know, your social media and everything with the people now, and then we'll do it again at the end. Sure. So uh, you can find me online at my website, uh, moonandrune.com. And there's all sorts of information there about what I do um, with guided session work and consultation work for businesses. But there's also just a, a load of uh, free resources for people to get started on as far as just research, um, finding, you know, sections of spirituality or uh, mental wellness that sort of resonate with them that they feel drawn to. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at um, Moon and Rune Wellness or at Nemofon is uh, my personal account. But all places I try to share, you know, what I know with folks and give to, uh, tools, tips, and tricks, even if you don't do sessions with me, that can hopefully help a few people here and there. Awesome. You have here this quote. So it's Moon and Rune Gnostic Wellness. 
And we have here the curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. What got you? What is Moon and Ruin Gnostic Wellness for those that don't know? And how, how did you get into this whole thing? Uh, so realistically, it's it's me. It's the extension of me. Um, it's, you know, my business is my baby. I've had it for coming up on actually April 1st will be one year for me. Um, but basic, thank you. <laughs> it's been a journey, but it's been a fun one. It's felt like an adventure more than a, uh, you know, something that I didn't want to do. <laughs> I, I always say I'm here for a good time, not a long time. So you gotta do what you got to do. So all of this started basically because, of course, I uh, had my own things to deal with as far as mental and spiritual wellness and just living a life that, you know, wasn't feeling congruent to a lot of my own personal belief systems um, for daily life, but also just you know, really living in a state of victimhood, kind of feeling like life was happening to me and not for me. Um, and so ironically, that quote became, you know, part of uh, sort of everything that I do with Moon and Rune, uh, such a prominent part of it, because it came to me at a super synchronistic moment, where basically I was having a lot of those thoughts and like, you know, why is this happening? Da, da, da. And the quote appeared to me through, I, I don't remember where, through social media or in a book. Um, and it just like clicked, <laughs> uh, right time, right place. So ever since then, I decided to figure out what felt like my purpose, uh, take conscious responsibility for you know a lot of the environments that were around me that were just realistically projections of how I felt about myself internally and uh, sort of, you know, taking that whole inward journey and realizing that everything we're seeking out here is, um, you know, we're looking in the wrong direction. Everything we need is inside of us. So I started taking classes, um, you know, really honing in on it. I started in marketing, ironically. And so this uh, came from actually a space where I realized that I had a real gift for molding people's minds with marketing. And I had always loved art. But the thing with marketing was that it always felt like I was manipulating people um, and sort of using my gift in a way that didn't feel good to me or that didn't feel, you know, congruent with, um, you know, my personal belief systems about things. And so I decided to really think about, you know, own that gift, the reality of what it is, and then ask myself, okay, how can I use this in a way that feels good to me and that helps others? And so Moon and Rune Wellness was born. <laughs> Yeah, and you, you mentioned purpose and manipulation, and it, it, I've, I did a podcast with Owen Hunt the other day, and we were talking about purpose, right, about finding the, the one thing that's, we're sold this American dream that it's just materialistic, just more, 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 we need to buy more, consume more, consume, consume. Right. What, what would you define for yourself as purpose? What is, is that even a real thing? Is that even attainable at any point in time? If you truly would be to break it down into something, do you think that's attainable at all? A thousand percent. It's, uh, it's the purpose of the individual, you know? So are you, are you really, are you speaking more to individual purpose, like attaining a sense of individual purpose or to, um, yeah, yeah like okay. for like to make, right. Cause we always talk about it. Like, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do in this life? You know, what am I here for? That's a question that everybody asks themselves. The first thing they ask us when we're small kids, it's what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> right. So think about how many kids say astronaut or president. 
mm-hmm. and then listen to a bunch of voices outside of them that tell them how hard that's going to be. And then they stop trying to do it. So that's what I would say about purposes that purpose is the thing that really, you know, make, we all know what that fight or flight feeling is where it feels like our heart is constricting. Purpose is that thing that when you resonate with it, makes your heart feel like it's expanding. Um, if I could give it sort of a connotation to body sensation, but purpose is purely for the individual and it can be as simple or complicated as you want it to be. Um, the other thing I would say is that it should be a living document for you. You know, your purpose should not be something that's set in stone. It should evolve and grow with you. My purpose for being five years ago at a subconscious level is, uh, very different than it was or than it is today for me. You know, it was based around what I thought other people required from me, uh, you know, three, four or five years ago. And that created a life for me that really didn't feel good. Whereas now I, you know, even when people try to sort of tell me what my purpose is or care for me in a way that's based in fear, I remind myself to come back to that body sensation of what I know feels good to me. Um, what, you know, what I feel genuinely physically drawn to the, it's a simple mantra, but it's a highly effective one, which is that I tell everyone things you want, want you also it law of attraction is a basic law of cosmology that we're all pretty aware of. And so in law of attraction, we all get these kind of ideas or visions of what feels like purpose purpose to us or what we're drawn to. And then immediately you get that followed up with a bunch of thoughts about why that's going to be hard or why there's going to be things that get in our way or we can't afford it or there's not enough time or whatever the reasons are, right? Those are the ones that are exterior to you that have been sort of put into you that you've accepted ingested from the outside world over time. The purpose, the intuition, the spirit exists in that first visual you had in your brain about the thing that you're drawn to. That's That can just be purpose, right? That can be purpose on a daily basis is thinking about what you feel naturally drawn to in a day and saying, that's what I'm going to move toward because that feels like purpose to me. Purpose is not intended to be impressive to anyone either. I would say, you know, you're not going to sit there and one of the other things I recommend to people is write your own guiding principles. You know, what uh, sort of like your commandment or constitution for you as an individual. And again, living document, right? That's something I'm going to be revisiting mine here very soon because I wrote it around the time that I started my business. But don't be afraid to write your own guiding principles for how you think life, you know, should work or how you want it to work and how you in a ideal world are able to present yourself on a daily uh, basis as a person with others, uh, uh, like other people, other groups, other entities within business. Um, and be mindful of the spaces that make you feel like, you know, your purpose doesn't deserve a voice or that it's unimportant too. any space that makes you feel like you have to shrink to fit it is not meant for you. The spaces you're intended to be in are always going to feel like there's extra room for you to grow and expand in that help you continue to think about what your purpose is. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned right when you first started how you wrote these things down and it's changed. The other day I was actually, I've been doing podcasting for two years and change now. And I listened to the first ever episode that I did and first interview that I did. And I felt like I was so innocent back then and looking into all these subjects, I've changed so much. And I was literally like cringing 
while listening to myself talk the way oh, I was talking. Man. No, we got to get it so that you look at that video and you're like in love with it. Well, I, I, I my whole, right, the reason I love podcasting, it's therapy for me. It's fun. And perhaps it is my purpose, right? I, I keep coming back to the alchemist where we use words as podcasters to, to change ideas in people's heads. And you know that with language, right? It, it's a very powerful thing. The arts are a very powerful thing. And that's what I'm, I'm passionate about these type of subjects and learning to look deeper within because, right, the microcosm and macrocosm, when you understand the micro, you'll understand the bigger picture. And that's what has been misconstrued all throughout history because of either the archons at work, the reptilians, whatever you want to call them, right? These dark forces at work. And sure, it's well, you got a reptilian cortex in your brain. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, yeah. I was actually talking <laughs> to somebody about that. The Don't other make day. an enemy of yourself. And <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that you said about doubts, right? Doubting yourself all the time and putting these barriers in front. And I, I, coming into this episode, I, I was thinking all day today, in the past week, and since we set it up. I do that a lot. I do that with my work where, and I don't think I do it intentionally. I'm more of a, an analytical person where I see everything. So is because of me talking about it beforehand, is that necessarily a bad thing? Like, oh no, we might run into this, this, and this, and this. I've said it, I've put it out there. Now will it manifest? And I think I've manifested quite a few things <laughs> Like the other day I had a client hit me up and the, and it was a nightmare. And I was like, well, we might run into this, this, and this. And exactly what I said happened. And I don't know if it's me just overthinking it or if it's actual thing where when you say it, you know, if I would have just said, okay, let's, we'll get to work on it. But since I like to be as transparent as I can be with people, I said, Hey, these are some of the issues we might run into given the circumstances, this is what might happen. And it just so happened. I don't know if it's my experience perhaps in my field, but it ended up being exactly what I had said was going to happen, unfortunately. And so guess what? You're learning a new language. Allow yourself to be a child with it. <laughs> seriously. This is the mistake that everyone, everyone makes. They take it really seriously. You're learning how this and this out here and in here communicate and how they present themselves through what you do with this, what you project through your mouth, and then what comes into your, into your field of reality. But be willing to let yourself be a child with it, right? Like I've I had a day where I got mad about the litter that was in my neighborhood and then thought about and wrote down that I was gonna like, you know, plan on getting lo mein or whatever for dinner. <laughs> and I went on a walk and guess what ended up being in front of my house. Romaine. Romaine wrapper? Yeah, litter. That yeah. was, Roma you know, Romaine uh, noodles or, or, you know, uh, whatever I had thought about. And I just remember, like, laughing so hard at it. Because yeah. I'm like, okay, well, thank you for the information. <laughs> you know, this is teaching me that if I spent, you know, if I spend time, the extended periods of time on my mind about a thing that makes me angry, Right. Well, this is a communication device that's pretty devoid of this dualistic mindset we have about whether information is good or bad. It just receives or understands, perceives, observes information through us, through our imagination, through, you know, through that inner vision and thinks, okay, you showed me, great. Asking you shall receive, right? 
So it's more so to be mindful about where you let this wander off to, right? You don't mm. you don't want it wandering down dark alleys that uh yeah have uncouth <laughs> uncouth individuals for you to meet, right? You want to be pretty intentional about where you're taking it, but also be willing to hold a space for like you know one laughing at yourself about it as you figure out some of the silly feebles and and like fobbles of dealing with it, like low main litter. <laughs> um, but you know, be know that that's what you're doing, that you're starting to become aware of and exist in this rapport between you and creation that has always existed, but now you're at a state of awareness where you can actually perceive it, which means now you can learn how to utilize it more properly, but you're not going to be perfect at it. Everyone's got to be willing to be a fool to be a master first. Mm -hmm. And uh, so make space for yourself with that as well. There's this very interesting human paradox that we seem to have created, which is that the self loves to learn and the ego hates feeling like it doesn't know things. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so this is why self needs to master and integrate the ego so that we can get back to a place where we can actually have fun and enjoy the learning process, enjoy the state of wonder and mystery that comes with it. And like, what does this button do? You know, mentality and have just have fun with it i think that you know the more i come along this journey the more i start to see that it can be taken you know very seriously and interestingly enough like when i communicate about existing uh in observer effect i, I can i'll get really intentional about putting myself in observer mode like even before walks or very intentionally before um you know certain experiences and it's interesting how different the self the observer consumes information versus how the ego perceives itself in the environment. Um, and the ego tends to be something that makes, also wants to immediately put things in one of two buckets, good, bad, right, wrong, yes, no, right? I mean, this is, it's sort of funny that we're making these binary computational language systems when that's what we're doing all the time. We've got these like two preconceived buckets and there's no other options. So if you're someone who notices you do that a lot, where information is becoming something that you're always automatically trying to bucket in good or bad, allow yourself to just observe it sometimes mm. and ask yourself if the, the just those two buckets is helping you grow and evolve or if it's making you, um, you know, look at your reflection in creation and call it bad on a daily basis. Yeah. Cause it, that it, happens it, for a lot of us. The observer effect, right. Where I don't know. I don't even know what to call it. Matter acts a certain way, depending on how you look intention, right. Uh, that makes a lot of sense where if you observe it from a certain point of view, how you perceive it, it might act a certain type of way. Right. And it's crazy that all these things exist because it's almost it's ma it's magical right i have no other way other way other word to describe it and you're talking about synchronicities right where there there are these magical moments where we feel connected to something that we don't know what it is but it's there and how you said a lot of the times i'll have deja vu or something i'll have like a synchronicity and um it feels again magical because it's almost sort of supernatural in a way where you either manifested it or saw it ahead of time. And I think that's where all these conspiracies come in, if you will, about how I think I, I keep saying 
the world back then was like Harry Potter. I think that language was, if you look at Welsh mythology, how epic and how great with all the dragons and sorcery. I think they are putting these movies out, these symbols. And you said that you were in, in marketing, right? These symbols that these companies put out and certain colors that they put in there, certain placements of things. It's all sacred geometry. It all traces back to to Plato and, he, and even before him, where he talked about how the arts affected people on a deeper deeper level and we see this with music we see this with movies we see this with with everything and yeah it's very it's very that's where quantum physics and all these other obscure sciences come in that only a certain people understand right that they that they oh well this is this well that's just them trying to comprehend something that they don't even know about that they don't they have no clue what's happening so they just put a title on it how we always do again back to language we put a title on it and we give it some sort of intrinsic value. And hey, this is how it is because of X, Y, and Z. And it makes zero sense whatsoever. And I do believe we live in some sort of sci-fi world, whatever. It may be a real life episode of Black Mirror. And I wanted to ask you because the Gnostics are a very... It's a subject that I'm very passionate about, and it's something that got me into this whole podcasting and conspiracy world. You have the Nag Hammadi Library, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Why is it Gnostic wellness? Is it, does it connect with how the Gnostics talked about this divineness within us and we're able to become yes. gods in a sense? Definitely. Um, they also believe that God lives inside of you, mm-hmm. right? That God is not some separate man in the sky who gives orders. And, you know, that you have to fear the wrath of, which we won't even get started on the irony of that since (laughs) wrath is a sin. (laughs) Um, But that also, so it was sort of interesting. I always had a draw to like, and we all have this, we all have certain characters, certain personas, um, you know, certain people from stories that we feel drawn to as we grow up. And I had this sort of paradoxical relationship with the fact that I was constantly drawn to and interested in Mary Magdalene, Mm -hmm. but that every time I came to research information from a place that was more, um, you know, commonplace. Scholarly, if you will, right? Like something uh, mainstream. Well, like, you know, the the more, the more, um, I guess the uh, Mm non-Gnostic version of her. Very biased. Yes. Because she actually was martyred as the, she was sort of scarlet lettered as the original Mm -hmm. Gnostic, Mm -hmm. because after Christ died, she experienced him within her and through her and not outside of her. She's a saint, Uh, isn't she? uh, I don't know that they ever actually gave her that. They finally have stopped labeling her a whore officially, which is a positive. I think that stopped happening in like 2005. Um, but that that was a common belief system for a long time, too, that that was her original um, mistress. Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I always felt drawn to that story. But every time I came up and and faced the story or got the story from others, it like then it didn't resonate again. And so for a long time, I was super con- like confused why I was so drawn to this female archetype when every time I went to like learn more about it from others, then it felt gross again. So as I got older, I finally had access to, you know, other research methods. And obviously the beauty of the internet is that lots of things have become available over time. And the more I researched her on my own, the more I realized 
how wrong <laughs> most of the people I had talked to have been about who she was as a person, what her purpose was. Um, you know, I would recommend it to anyone and everyone that if they haven't read parts of her gospel, that they do. Um, there's lots of interesting information, but also just what uh, the truth around her relationships with the other apostles was as well. Uh, taught me a lot. Uh, you know, the two men that she butted heads with most after Christ's passing uh, were the two men who wrote the majority of the Bible that we all, uh, you know, have read or have read parts of today, the, the King James. So, you know, that was that was an interesting lesson in and of itself for me. And then I, I just started studying Gnosticism more as a whole and, you know, understanding that they don't believe in sin in the same way that uh, Christians and Catholics do, that they don't believe that we're put on this earth here to suffer. They believe that we're put on this earth here to find that inner light, to find that uh, divinity within you and become a co-creator within the process of, of 3D reality. Um, and that, you know, that each person is individual to that that create, creation as a, as a whole one eternal thing that's constantly perceiving itself through everything uh, is not interested in perceiving the same moment twice if it doesn't need to. There is nothing to be learned from that. Mm -hmm. And so the replication of belief system in individuals, in individual co-creators of the universe, is going to cause a lot of replication that is not of necessity or helpful necessarily to the learning process of creation. Um, and, and so this was kind of where the, the break happened between Orthodox and, and Gnosticism is, and why the Orthodox survived more, um, because it, so it just so happens that the more controlling your system was as a spirituality back in the day, the better chances of survival the people involved in it had. So uh, a lot of these belief systems that got everyone to believe in the same thing, well, it worked well for them because it, for whatever reason, during that time frame, it helped people survive better as a society. Um, so a lot of things like Gnosticism and, and similar belief systems, because there have been quite a few um, other non-Orthodox Christianities that sort of came and went, you know, same reason, basically, which was the belief was that your relationship with creator, uh, creation through you as you is individual to you and not something that you can be told about by another person that you can learn from other parts of self, you know, through self um, and, and observing self in others, but that it's never intended to be something where there's someone who's considered um, spiritually above you and is here to tell you what God thinks. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it brings me to this quote, right? Robert Frost. I took the, the path less traveled again, uh, hinting at that this soul, if you will, this thing, this whatever it is, this this gaseous material that I've heard it called before that's in the frontal sinus, uh, looking back at Manly P. Hall's work. And, right, it's not going to do the same thing over. Because like you said, if you've already gone down that road, why would you go back there again? And then... Comfort. <laughs> but then you have deja vu. What do you think right. deja vu is? Do you, do you think it is like an echo in space and time where, you know, paths intersect and, and maybe, you know, you see in all these movies, oh, I did this instead of that and that happened. What do you think deja vu is? So I think deja vu is an awareness of what is happening for all of us all the time. It's just a state of awareness of that synchronicity that's constant for all of us. You know, uh, the thing that's beautiful about it is 
two people can be in a room and look at the same ob object and both have a, you know, Archimedes or Eureka aha moment about that object in completely different ways. Like that's the beauty of this. There's so many people who look at creation and kind of figure out that it is technically an illusion. Well, most illusionists, most magicians do that because they like helping people enjoy a state of uh, a sense of wonder. Euphoria, and, right? Uh, yeah, like an enjoyment for the mystery to, you know, to be like, wow, how did they do that? Not because they want to trick you, right? So a lot of people get into this and they start thinking about quantum mechanics and they start understanding, you know, what this really is. And they go and they do the whole it's the matrix crap let's get let's get out no it was it was made out of love i promise right <laughs> things got a little off track for a while i think because we forgot that that's how it works um that we you know we forgot how to love ourselves. that divinity inside of us we were constantly seeking for something exterior um you know one of the biggest things with that you know man in the sky separate god complex is the whole concept of uh pleasing your father which, you know, we won't even get into the, the psychology realm of that and how many people end up um, talking to a psychologist because of that relationship. Yeah. It doesn't work, uh, you know, in a spiritual context either. So I think that convergences in time happen all the time. I think that we get to a place where sometimes the, the pattern is so repetitive, you can't help but see it mm -hmm. and go, holy crap, this is, you know, this really is Groundhog's Day. But that you're having that state of awareness to transcend it, to do something different with it, to remember, right? And so the convergence is actually good and necessary to this process, because as present you steps onto that same path again and feels the, the energy and remembers the, the state that past self was in in that same moment, they get to observe the past self, appreciate it, and then do something better with that moment from a state that has awareness and knows how powerful it is. Whereas the past self that's also existing in that time-space convergence was probably someone who didn't think they had a choice, that was a victim to the situation, that felt a thought coming or was in that event or experience and thought, this is the only way, and they kept doing it. So those moments are honestly pretty necessary. You have to have the Groundhog Day moment for you to realize that you're stuck so you can get yourself out of it. So you can make a different choice to make a, to change it for something better. Especially if you're in a state, you know, those synchronistic moments tend to really happen. Either one, to continue us on the path that we've decided or to help us see that we need to leave the loop that we're in. Um, those, those tend to be the two moments for us that we experience the most sense of synchronicity, both extremely important. Um, but that the one that gets you out of the path, which, by the way, is that past you that you were cringing at in your videos from two years ago, that man did a lot to get you where you are now, right? <laughs> yeah. Those are those convergent moments for us. So the process is also about having that moment where when you look at past self, you look at it and you accept it, you integrate it, because that is your shadow. So yeah. figuring out how to look at that shadow of yourself and remember how to love them instead of cringing at them for like, you know, how innocent they were or not knowing or, you know, whatever. What did they give you? Wow, they had the awareness to break cycles. They had the courage to do it because it's never easy to break the cycle, by the way. It's usually a very uncomfortable situation that you're presented with. They changed their belief systems in a way that changed my life. I get to observe this person now because of that person being who they were. 
right? Like thinking about all the ways you can integrate self in those convergent moments is super important too. Instead of just, you know, feeling that past self and being like, ugh, I don't want to do this again. I didn't like it then. I don't like it now, right? It's not to it's not to relive that state of being, but it is to appreciate everything that version of you did and all the bravery they showed, all the courage they committed to themselves, all the belief they committed to themselves to get you here to the point where you can actually have awareness of them even being present. Yeah. Because I can promise you that that version of you also had moments where the past self reconvened yes. and they missed the moments. They didn't see them, right? Yeah. And so finally they were like, I'm stuck. Let's get out. <laughs> and, and podcasting is weird, right? Because it's this journal, but with a voice. And the there was a person that commented on the that it just on my first episode, episode number one, and we're up on episode like 85 or 87, whatever. I don't Congratulations. even know. Thank you. And that person commented on it and she was like, Oh, congratulations on your success. Da da da. This and that. It was great. I had, I loved it. All this stuff. And I wrote back and I was, <laughs> I was like, Hey, this is my first podcast ever. Just know that if you listen to anything else, I'm a completely different person. It's not the same person like at all, at all. And it's, it's been a bumpy ride where some of the subjects are heavier than others. And I like to do it in a certain way where it's, you know, funny, enjoyable and, and talk about interesting things. But yeah. And and I can, the way you put it, absolutely. Right. Be able to recognize that. Right. So not, not make I love fun, using right? metaphor. Like metaphor and allegory are such beautiful ways to use language to help change people's perspective too, because it allows application of self within the context of the story, but far enough away that they're able to appreciate it mm -hmm. in a different sense. So the one I love using for this is, you know, the butterfly never looks back at a caterpillar and goes, I hate you. Yeah. Right? You know, I'm pretty sure the butterfly still would like to be able to stay a butterfly and keep its wings and be able to fly, right? Like, it's not looking at the caterpillar like, damn, I wish I had to crawl everywhere again. Like that was you. That was yes. you were the caterpillar before you became the butterfly. So it's. Yes. It wouldn't so make any the, sense to make fun of it. another reason that metaphor is so awesome uh, is that, I, and not everyone knows this, but caterpillars actually become literally DNA soup. Yeah. When they are in a chrysalis, they go, they, scientists still do not know how it is possible that butterflies retain memories, stimuli memories oh, wow. from when they are caterpillars, but they do, even though there is no physical receptor, no brain left for psyche, for memory to exist, and everything becomes just DNA mush Whoa. and then rebuilds itself again, they retain memories. That's wild. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> That's crazy that I didn't, I did not know that, but yeah, it, it's, they go through this almost like a, uh, this, this transformation. It reminds me of metempsychosis where, right. The soul goes and migrates to somewhere else, but it's still the same soul. Uh, and that's how I think that kids, right. Kids, certain kids and certain people have these memories of their past lives. Pythagoras was known to supposedly I believe it was like four or seven lives that he remembered. Again, a person who was of higher consciousness and in touch with something else. He had this sort of apperceptive power where he understood this 
this you mentioned you mentioned uh, right uh, a theme in the gnostic cosmology is this false matrix you don't subscribe to the false matrix theory the 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 computer simulation I, I don't. So here's the thing. The beauty of Gnosticism is I don't have to ascribe to the existing belief systems because Gnosticism teach me that even my belief systems are allowed to evolve. Mm -hmm. Right. So even, Gnosticism, even as a whole, like, you know, there was uh, there were people like H.P. Plavatsky who came around and, and wrote things like the Sacred Doctrine. The Sacred Doctrine speaks of completely different belief systems and ideologies. Um, it evolved very quickly basically, uh, because it allowed for people to have intuitive uh, intersection with creation within their own mind about what cosmology was to them. And so it was never about, okay, everyone's got to ascribe to the, this belief system as it is. Now, the thing I will say is, yes, this is all an illusion, right? That we know that even scientifically, we can prove that literally all we are is light, sound, frequency, vibration occurring in a really beautiful way. Mm -hmm. um, but that again, you know, you can either think that you're in the matrix or that there's a wizard behind a curtain somewhere just fucking with you. I like or... that idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's got a lot of self questions you got to ask yourself. Really? You why think so? Why having someone else in control and why do you like suffering? <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you feel about Nietzsche, right? Where he talks about the Superman that suffering is part of this life right my friend says we are humans being right not human beings are humans being and Nietzsche talks about this eternal uh, occurrence recurrence where you need to suffer right w what are your thoughts on I was listening to an, an episode you did with I forgot the guy's name it was like reality something where he talked about emotional alchemy uh, where do you and you talked about anger do you feel that these experiences that we have are are well are necessary and do you think that suffering is part of being able to use to mold us right like this 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 thing that we're in whatever it may be uh do you think i think that suffering has been the predominant existing belief system about what best shapes the human ego under pressure and fear but that i don't think that that's the best fuel source for how the soul evolves and grows as an individual just because that has been the working you know, algorithm, right? Like if someone, if someone could disprove gravity tomorrow, guess what? We're taking the new belief. Yes. Right. Like mm -hmm. you don't, if someone disproves it, if there's a new theory that comes out, that's proven, you don't stick around with the old one, you move on to the new one. Right. So I, I would say the same for this. I think that our, we have learned enough from the ego complex individuation reality and that we are ready to return to core our type archetypal self expression that observes more than it attaches so basically the the difference between this two is the concept that the logical or rational mind has been acting as the lead to the subconscious and that realistically it actually exists much better as a support system as a structure of framework as the observer through which it perceives information and shares that information with the subconscious so the subconscious can give you your fullest expression of self in the present moment unattached from ego because ego is the thing that like many of us have intuitive moments where we are thinking about saying or doing something and it's only our ego's fear that usually keeps us from doing it 
Well, that's because the ego was never supposed to really, you know, obviously it was because we had to learn from it. But in the, in the present moment, we've kind of come to learn that the more the ego attaches to things, the more the ego individuates by labeling itself, by accepting static definitions of self, the more it limits the potential of the spiritual self or the soul. So that that's why the observer effect feels so good to people. One, because it's a state of neutrality. You're observing, you're perceiving creation as information and therefore not potentially distorting it right? But that you're also basically just feeding this amazing intelligence that is the collective subconscious mind loads of information in a way that you're allowing it to then it, it, it structure and support instead of control. Um, when you sit and observe or let the using the logical and rational mind as a support system to the intuitive process, to the gut instinct, to, you know, expression in the moment, is what actually helps us get to a place of like more total wellness or what, you know, that is technically what Nirvana is, mm -hmm. right? Or enlightenment is existing in this space where you observe. Observance really is a state of unconditional love because nothing's getting put in a bucket, good or bad, right? It just is. It is just information. It's just this rapport, this conversation for learning that you're having with creation as a projection reflection of internal self so even if you see something not so kind happening guess what information how can i take conscious responsibility for how this is a reflection of something i did to myself in my own mind in the recent past or today or you know and and learning how to ask yourself the right questions too to connect those moments to the root of origin within your own mind is super helpful also like even as you're experiencing synchronicity, learning how to ask yourself the right questions to even attach symbology yourself, right? Like, you know, you can be told what uh, something like a, a school bus is supposed to symbolize to you. And if that symbolism doesn't work for you, if it makes you feel something negative every time you see a school bus, you have the conscious responsibility to change what that thing in reality means to you as an individual but you have to be mindful and intentional about it. And you have to ha have enough awareness to notice those subconscious correlations between the symbol and what it does up here. Mm -hmm. This is that that's the dialogue that people don't pay attention to that runs like a reel all day long in their minds, right? Like you, uh, the example I'll give for a lot of people is if you see a car that an ex used to drive, how many of us <sighs> think of that ex? And then have a five-minute imaginative sequence to the past of all the things we didn't like about or that. Or they were driving it. Oh, imagine is that them? And you look. You always look. Right. It's all right. <laughs> so if if that moment, I use this thing called this um, SUE scale with people too, which is standard uh, or a subjective units of experience scale, and it uh, is basically to help you understand or um, use your rational logical mind in a way that helps you with this inner work and and to see the truth of what you're experiencing so uh the scale goes from negative 10 to positive 10 zero being neutral and i always tell people neutral is not that bad neutral is actually a great place to be right so defining your neutral is important too but let's say that car drives by and you were feeling like a five and now that that the second that car drives by okay now you feel like a two you keep thinking about it for five more minutes as you're driving to work because you're not controlling that what's happening up here. You're just letting it happen. Well, you get to work and now you're now you're a negative three. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So it's getting to a point of one, like no, it helps actually to assign a numeric value to what your body experiences, right? Because usually something like that happens, the car goes by and ironically, we sense it here mm-hmm. first before the thoughts start doing the, the five minute diatribe that doesn't help us or bring us anything we want. So that's that moment for the more presently aware person to say, what new value do I want to assign to this car? Right? Like what symbology do I want to personally attach to this car or being present enough? You know, I work with affirmations a lot too. If that, if that's something you need to observe and release about the past to create a new and better present, don't be afraid to use affirmations like that in your own mind, but also like if you're alone in your car, say it out loud. Words are powerful things. And it just, what do you say, Mary? You say, fuck that car. (laughs) It helps with neuroplasticity too. It builds a new pathway instead of the existing one. What do you, what what are you supposed to say? Like, fuck that car or or like, cause you can't be negative about it either. Right. Well, the car is just information. Why would you judge it? Your ego is what's mad about the relationship and has contextualized it to the car. Subconscious. The car never did anything. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's what's funny. So the, it's getting to the point where you just realize this doesn't feel good for me to have this association. I'm going to make a new one mm-hmm. or I'm going to observe and release th- this association that I know is rooted in the past and isn't serving me so that I can hold space for other information. Right. But it's, it's also at least not letting it. Part of the reason the affirmations are so helpful is that it also keeps you from letting that thought track go for another five, 10, 15 minutes where you're like putting yourself back in a past version of yourself that didn't feel very good either. That's why you left the relationship, right? (laughs) So it's all about like, this is why the observer effect is really good too, because if you're in the observer mode and that car goes by and you have that sensation happen in your body, you observe it happening. You observe that an emotion was experienced instead of I am angry now, right? I observe anger inside of me in in correlation to this event. That's the difference too, is instead of assigning direct value to an emotion that occurs in the moment, which can be a a moment to moment thing for most of us. But when we attach really heavily to a specific emotion because of things that have happened, uh, you know, in our experience, that doesn't tend to serve us, or we tend to really hyper-focus on the things that don't feel good for whatever reason. So getting aware enough about that too, that if most of the things that your mind tends to gravitate to and grab onto during the day, make your SUE scale go mm-hmm. the whole time, then that's not helpful. But the opposite is true for the SUE scale too, which is that you can also use it to assign a logical, irrational evaluation and understanding of things that make your scale go up. So let's say, uh, you know, we'll use the car situation again, but, um, a car drives by that reminds you of your best friend from high school that you haven't talked to in a while. And that has nothing but positive memories for you, right? You feel the scale go up. Those are important moments too, because it helps you assign basically mental resource within your own mind, within your own memory complex and psyche to move your scale whenever you want to. So let's say you go to work and you have a moment that makes your scale go down. Well, you've also been assigning values to things that make your scale go up and you can be really intentional about maybe doing one of those one or two of those things to bring yourself back to a place that feels better. 
but it's all about building that sense of observer awareness of how your ego interacts with the environment versus attaching self to ego. And that's, I'm sure that's very hard for a lot of people to do, right? Because of, again, this conditioning in society that we've been succumbed to this indoctrination. And you mentioned earlier, finding that middle path and not letting your mind wander into certain places. And I haven't done it in a while, but one of my forms of meditation is, is sensory deprivation. Sensory deprivation tanks where... I find it so hard when I'm in there to focus and stay neutral and be in the moment because as soon as I get in there, I have no stimulus from anywhere for two hours and my mind is just constantly, did I answer that email? Did I make that phone call? Uh, and, and another thing that I do while I'm in there, I'll start thinking about, oh, what if there was, there was an alligator in here with me? And obviously, you know, it's just your mind in there. So, you, you know, manifestation is that much stronger so I started to get anxiety of thinking, oh, wow, it's so dark in here. If there was an alligator in here, that would be wild. And I start thinking about, oh, alligators, what about a snake? Or like all these things that start rolling through my head instead of just being in that present moment, just being there instead of letting, again, that my mind wander into different places, right? And that's so hard. Our mind is trained to think that it has to constantly be doing something. Yeah. So this is the other thing about the ego, too, is that it thinks it has to do something about everything, that that's its job which, you know, to play into the whole concept of, of puppetry, right? If the ego is the part of you that mm. loves attaching itself to loads of things, guess what? It has lots of strings. <laughs> so those are things that can be pulled and tugged on from an emotional perspective. This is why the observer effect is so helpful is to help you find the strings that are making you think thoughts or do things that don't feel congruent to you as a person, as true self, so that you can, so that you can cut them right? So that you can find, you know, either find a new attachment that works better for you, that's for your positive benefit, or not have the attachment at all. Mm -hmm. um, but that, you know, this, this really is just about people actually paying attention to what's going on in their head. Most people don't, no. right? And so like a space like that, which by the way, good for you, that's like meditation boot camp. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, for most people, it really is just getting to a place of appreciating, even just sitting down and being present with what's in front of them. Most people aren't even present enough to like really fully immerse or experience their uh, environment that's right in front of their face. So one of the visualizations that I tell people that they can really utilize when they start to meditate, and by the way, don't go right into thinking that you are going to know how to not think you're gonna feel like you suck at meditation. <laughs> so I always recommend to people when they start having a practice of intentional visualization. Mm -hmm. Set a purpose for something you are gonna visualize or do in your imagination, in your mind, even if it's for five minutes. What you're training is self-control within the mind. How to utilize the imagination intelligently. And it will help you get to a place where at some point, it's going to be really easy to not think thoughts because you're not going to be worried about what's going on up here. You're building all sorts of new pathways where it understands that it actually has a captain to the ship. It's not going to like have to steer itself anymore on autopilot, but that you have to be willing to kind of get present with that and give yourself time to learn how to not think, <laughs> get comfortable with it. Not, right. Not so like, think. uh, 
super easy visualizations starter for everyone with meditation is sit in the room that you're in, take a 360 view, try to take it all in. And then when you meditate, you're going to try and recreate the room as someone that's looking down into it. See yourself in it, see the room, put all the things in it. Then once you feel like you've totally built the room, zoom out a little bit. How much can you re-architect from around that? Mm -hmm. If you feel like you can really do that, okay, zoom out a little bit more. Like keep doing it until you get to a place where you're like, you know what, I'm starting to create in spaces or, or observe spaces that feel outside of the context of what I think I know or remember. But allow yourself to learn how to master thought first before you try to master not thought, basically. <laughs> is the advice that I would give to everyone. I did that. I spent five minutes in it um, with someone who, you know, probably could have given me better advice, but that basically I was like, I can't not think and I feel yeah. more anxious now and da, 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 mm -hmm. you know, so don't do that. <laughs> but also give yourself some patience with it. Again, everyone's got to be willing to be a fool to be a master. So you're not going to be amazing at meditation. But also I don't think there's any, you know, there's no right, wrong, good, bad way to meditate. The whole point is just that you're starting to look inside of yourself and see what the heck's going on in there. It's a state of mind. It's a different state of consciousness. And the other day I prayed for the first time in years and it just makes me think of all those times I trying to be in that moment of just affirmations or meditation, right? Prayers, meditation. And all those times when I used to pray on the regular where I would fall asleep while praying and then I'd wake up in the morning and go, did I say amen? I don't even remember finishing the prayer and I just fell asleep because again, your mind starts to wander and you just completely forget. And, I, and that's hard for me because of my high stress and my work and all this stuff. And that's something I'm learning to manage. And you said earlier, people who hyper fixate on things that aren't good. I'm the opposite. I hyper fixate on things for a short period of time. Then I'm like, I find a hobby, I go all out and then I find another hobby and I go all out and I left that other hobby just completely. I hyper fixate on these things again, trying to, the reason I started podcasting was because I first, I started with fishing videos. Okay. And then I noticed that if I would fish for 12 hours and I didn't catch anything, I had no content. So then obviously listening to shows like Sam Tripoli's Tim Fall Hat and Joe Rogan, right? All these bigger podcasts. I was like, let me, if, I, if I'm having a conversation with you now, this is the whole time we're engaged. There's something the whole time. So I said, let me start podcasting instead. And on top of that, I can look for, you know, interesting topics, learn at the same time, have interesting conversations with people like you who know about different things out of my realm of expertise that I didn't know about. And that's more concrete than going out for, because another aspect of life is, Right. I would record these fishing things and how you're saying people who live in the now. A lot of people are living behind a screen. Right? How many people don't you see that go to a certain place? Uh, you know, let's say that they, they go to Egypt or something and they're just behind their screen. You're taking pictures and recording the, and the whole time instead of being in the present moment of, you know, let me look with my eyes. Like this, this is this is all the cameras that I need. But again, I think that's society and life right? That conditions people to act a certain way and do certain things like, Oh, I need this to, to remember it. You know, I got to take this picture to remember that I was here. It's like, well, you know, you, that you were there. 
but because you have this scrying mirror in your pocket all the whole the whole you know at all times of the supercomputer you feel the need to take it out and even now like you see people they're zombies they're they're just it's i i find it like one of the things that i couldn't really wrap my mind around was for example you know talking about different philosophies and 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 different ideas and understand understanding and accepting right and perceiving things the stoics a stoicism for for the longest time i would talk about it and i didn't i couldn't wrap my mind around it where how is something so simple yet so effective and how we tend to overcomplicate things like we think oh stoicism oh it must be this this crazy religion that they just whatever right no it's so simple it's just devoid of ego <laughs> yes yes and they learned right they would meditate right uh, uh, Marcus Aurelius meditations, they would meditate and journal all these things down. And that's why I think, I think, right. They always say, find something that, you know, coming back to the whole purpose thing, find something that you are passionate about. I'm passionate about this, but then how can I make this for a living? Like you can't, you know what I mean? Like some, well, not that you can't, you can, as long as you I was gonna say, let's work on that subconscious belief system if it's present. <laughs> well, that that there's my skeptic coming in. What I was telling you about, like, oh well, I can do this, but there's this, this, and this, and that's just the way I am. When I analyze something, I look at all the points of views. I I I look at everything, you know, in a 360 3D model. I look at everything, so I'll be like, okay, I can go from here, but then if I go this way, it's like playing chess. Well, you go this way, you get that's gonna happen. You go this way. That's why I love chess because it's again a, a, a like a, a brain exercise that you can do to look ahead to to be aware of what's going to happen five turns from now, not just in the present now. But then you have people like Alan Watts that talk about there's the only the eternal now. So you have all these you know what I mean all these ideas all at one time, and it's like how do you choose to interpret life itself? Either you look at it from a scholarly point of view, if you will, or or a skeptical point of view, or learn to accept everything as that's what I love about the the Stoics that they learn to accept the logos, the universe for what it is. Don't how many people stress themselves out about things that they can't control? Everyone does it. Like oh, I wish I could have done that. It's like well, listen, it already happened. You know what can you do to change it? Go, from by the here way, on. what can you control in that present moment? Yeah, yeah. that's what's funny. There are so many people who. Um, you know, have like kind of, I call it micromanagement. I have obsession. that. Yeah. <laughs> I would much rather have macromanagement obsessions, right? Like if you are someone who gets anxiety or feels overwhelmed because you feel like things are out of your control and that makes you someone who wants to like hyper control certain things, focus that sense of control inward. You'd be surprised how quickly you'll evolve away from anxiety and overwhelm honestly, because you're focusing that you're putting the locus of control outside of self mm -hmm. when you are someone who generally is anxious or overwhelmed by things because you think it's constantly not something that, you know, you can predict mm -hmm. or that it will act unpredictably. Yes, it will act unpredictably, but this won't yes. if you spend more time up here learning how to actually utilize it for yourself. Absolutely. And we touched on Carl Jung, uh, the first episode we did with Mark. And I love this quote, and it's something that's always resonated with me. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. I know you know a little bit more about Jung than I do. Can we 
touch on the subject of Jung and the the subconscious. I've heard that the subconscious is the one responsible for the all these abrupt decisions that we take. You know, these last second decisions, like in the you know when they put you on the spot, like, hey, what are you gonna do? Uh, I'm gonna do this, and then you completely, even though it went against every bone in your body, you still went to that decision. You still went with the subconscious. So the actually it's quite the opposite the subconscious is the thing that screams through your bones for you to do it it's your intuition right but there's lots of voices that we consume and amalgamate into self and our psyche over our over our lifetime that quiet that Mm. so the funny thing about that is there are a lot of people that like high pressure environments because they call it like you know it's so high pressure that i just like jesus take the wheel with it (laughs) yeah that's your spirit expressing through you. That is your truest self. That's your most intuitive subconscious correlated self that doesn't have time for the ego's like application of problems in that moment. Not time for its bullshit. Right. So this is actually where a lot of procrastinators come from because the truth is that they actually do best or most successful and enjoy most existing and expressing as intuitive self but that until the pressure is applied with something like a timeline, they have way too much time to let the ego kind of. You keep talking about me, Mira. Why do you keep talking about yeah, me? Yeah, we're on. <laughs> you keep bringing up well, all these I'm things not, that I I'm do. I'm actually talking about all of the things that are not necessarily you is the trick with this too, right? Like all of those voices that come in after the fact that try to complicate things there's a choice point there. Mm -hmm. Is that really your truest voice or is that a voice you've consumed from another Mm -hmm. or from a system or from a environment over a long period of time? That's actually something I try to get people to do is like, listen to some of those voices that occur, the thought patterns that occur and assign if it is limiting you, especially think to yourself or ask yourself again, you'd be surprised what the subconscious has to offer you where did this voice this thought pattern originate from when you figure it out like sometimes it's a parent sometimes it was a teacher or a coach someone from uh you know a faith environment and you realize wow this is not my voice this is this mm, person's voice yes. and i have allowed it to exist so one of the exercises that can be helpful is actually starting to if you have the ability to remember that person's voice sort of experiencing those thoughts in a voice that isn't your own so you can own that it's not you right the more you own that it's not you it becomes something like thank you for uh you know thank you for the advice thing that i allowed to you know amalgamate into my psyche over an extended period of time yeah but that the more you sort of compartmentalize them and start to realize which ones are actually you and which ones are the ones that you've allowed to hold space in you over time. It also gets to be a point of, you know, you can choose to start having affirmations around that particular thought pattern or the persona that put it there that I observe and release this thought. It's not for me anymore. I've realized it doesn't serve me, right? So if that persona, that voice, that thought pattern is living in your psyche and it's not serving you, you don't keep unwanted guests in your house either, right? Yeah. Like you're not going to keep a, a shitty guest in your home for an extended period of time, hopefully. <laughs> Although if that's a reflection that's happening, you know, that's not surprising for some people. But 
you know, the, the longer you let it stay here, the more control it has over your life. This is one of those strings, right? So realizing when one of those isn't serving you and owning that it isn't you, but that your ego has attached to it and associated itself to it is going to help you disassociate from it and move back toward true self. The, the one that has the first thought, the first invigorated sense of being drawn to something, the first, like, uh, you know, feeling inspired to move towards something or do something. That's the one that's the truest self, the intuitive self. Everything else that off, like happens after that is the ego. One, usually trying to complicate things because the ego really gets off on hero syndrome, right? Like the more things we have to surmount and defeat, the, the happier the ego thinks it's going to be when we get to the end of that. Interesting. Whereas the self realizes like, holy shit, man, can we just take a break? <laughs> yeah. Can we just have peace? Like we can have, we can have fun and desired results without a bunch of bad guys and, and mountains to climb. You don't have to take that road, but a lot of like, and I'm one of those people for a long part of my life, my ego really got off on that. Having a bad guy to take down, right. Having something to fight against. Until finally one day I realized, well, I keep putting myself in environments where I have to like Hercules my way through life. Well, that actually doesn't sound like the hero's journey. That sounds like suffering, right? It's exhausting to trial and tribulate. So I think the ego does have to experience those things to come to a place of awareness where it realizes maybe it's not good at being the lead and allow the subconscious, the intuitive to take the lead more and for it to just be that observer that offers information from the experience, undistorted information to the subconscious so that the subconscious can express itself most intuitively without having to think too hard about it. It's actually a far more biologically efficient form of intelligence to not have to store information in one static place versus the subconscious that pulls from the collective whenever it needs it, kind of like a cloud and gives you the information that best suits you in the moment so that you don't have to spend so much time and energy in the biology of creating that moment you make it sound so easy <laughs> <laughs> Just well it's easy to me now the other thing i would say is you know don't don't define it as something that's difficult the more time you spend with it the easier it feels because it literally feels easier to exist that way but it's not so not everyone is focused that on that though because right we have this 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 culture centered around no right when we hurt our arm we go to the hospital but what if you don't feel okay mentally we don't right you go to a you go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist whatever and what do they do they just pump you full of a bunch of chemicals to try to correct the imbalance like i was reading my dad's ms medicine side effects and i was reading the side effects i'm like I think I'd rather just have a mess instead of all these side effects. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like they've, but if you go somewhere and go, Hey, I don't feel okay. Then it's dogmatized. It's like, Oh, you're crazy. We're going to lock you. We're going to put you in an asylum. And again, it's this conditioning of don't, you know, out of sight, out of mind type of thing. So don't think about your subconscious. Don't think about all these symbols that trigger you and all this stuff. Just live your life, be this little worker bee and just go to your nine to five, come home, sit in front of a TV that, that, and just watch some, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians or something like that. And just something mind numbing to where you just have to go to sleep and then do it all over again the next day. And you find these people in this cycle, right? 
where they're just doing the same thing over and over again. And the whole thing about insanity was it's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And I think a lot of people are, are in that cycle where they're not able to break out and, and do research how I have, I've had people who call me to ask me about certain conspiracies and all this stuff and all these things. Cause they know I'm looking into it all the time. They go, well, I don't really have the time for all that. I go, well, if you really wanted to look That's into a belief it, system we can work on. Yeah. Yeah. You could, That's you a could place for affirmation, right? I yeah. still do that. When I feel overwhelmed with time immediately now, my subconscious is programmed wired in a way that it responds with an affirmation that negates that belief. Mm, interesting. Okay. So instead I start to think my ego starts to think, wow, I'm not going to, why am I going to do that? And my subconscious takes over and, and gives me a new thought pattern, which is no, the desired result is that I have all the time that I need to get the things done that are best for me today. Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of letting the other one run the track, if the subconscious is the one leading the show, then it tends to give you the things that are more loving and better for you, more constructive, more beneficial for you than allow you to get stuck in like rational mind really is all about analyzing. Well, analysis only comes from past or previous information. It doesn't exist in the present. It's only an accumulation of data points that has occurred before this present moment. So I would much rather the thing that wants me to keep moving to the future run the show than the thing that wants me to keep thinking about the past, right? And getting upset about it. Where does the dark self fall into all of this, Nero? If there even <laughs> is one. I think it comes to the place of realizing that by defining a part of yourself as the dark self in a context that's bad, that that's what you, you know, you're kind of here to transcend. We all have an alter ego if we're living in a state or sense of awareness of duality, right? Those good, bad, right, wrong buckets. Uh, but that transcending that is, is, you know, there's an old saying that tr transcending duality is realizing that you are God and the devil, both inside of you that your judgments of self dictate judgments from others, from you, usually. Like, the more you think someone's going to judge you for something, guess what usually happens, right? So that it's getting to a place of not allowing that to become something that's repetitive, and that while being led by logical, rational mind, those are the only data points it's given, mm -hmm. and so it assumes that that's just is how it is, right? Instead, allowing the subconscious to create new pathways for you. So... It's funny, this is so in line with, uh, I'm taking like a more in-depth class on neuroplasticity right now. And one of the really simple exercises they give to people is, it does not matter how simple or small the task is in your day, do something you've never done before for five to 10 minutes a day. I don't care if it's drive home a different way from work. I don't care if it's go to a different grocery store than you normally go to. It can be like the one I did yesterday was write out the alphabet with my left hand because I'm right-handed and, and I'm going to keep trying that. You know, it's, it literally does not matter how simple it is. One of the ones uh, that they talk about too that's hugely important in neuroplasticity is social behavior. So it, finding a sense of space that makes you a little bit just like uncomfortable and accepting it as a challenge to challenge yourself to make something different of it. So if you're someone who normally walks, you know, through your neighborhood and doesn't really say hi to your neighbors and, you know, you have your headphones on, set a purpose or intent for the next time you go out and walk 
that you're going to very intentionally make eye contact and say hello to every person that you walk by. That even that has a huge impact on our neuroplasticity and can build toward us getting stronger at breaking the existing structure or the existing cycle that's making us feel stuck. Yeah, and, and people are probably like, man, what the fuck's up with her? She never says hi to me, and all of a sudden she said hi to me today. <laughs> I, you know, I've always been, uh, I, I kind of have always been more that person at a natural level, and it was just, you know, over time I became more and more shy around people, and it, that actually became something that was difficult for me. So I'm, I'm super intentional about it now, but it, it's fun to make a challenge of it too, mm-hmm. right? Like we actually really love a good challenge, it makes us feel motivated, inspired, but we don't like something that feels overwhelming. So yeah. for a lot of people, it's finding that sweet spot. Like if you're looking to break out of cycles, if you're looking to make some new neural pathways in your brain, which is what neuroplasticity is all about, pick some simple things to start out with, right? Like even with the meditate, same thing with the meditation, maybe meditate in a different place each day, maybe have a different format of meditation you do each day. Um, you know, if you normally get, it it can be as simple as maybe you look at buying a new type of bread this week, right? Like it doesn't matter how simple it is. The whole point is that you physically change something or you intentionally learned a new way to think about something. So learning some intentionally learning something new every day is incredibly helpful to neuroplasticity too. Yeah. And it's funny, right? I, 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 for one, I'm, I'm a bit of a hypocrite where I talk about a lot of these things and don't follow through with myself, right? Mind over matter. We always say this, but we let the matter rule over us anyways. And hey, self-awareness is a good place to start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like my wife, it was yesterday. She was like, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a natural body wash or something, right? I've, I've replaced my my toothpaste with charcoal, right? I got, I got to start somewhere. We know this stuff is bad and stuff. She's like, well... You know, you replace your charcoal toothpaste, but then you're still vaping. I go, well, I got to start somewhere. She's like, you replaced your charcoal toothpaste, but yet you're wearing, she was talking about how my earbuds inside my ear was bad. I go, I looked at her and I said, you know, there's 5G waves and Wi-Fi running through our body right now. You think I'm worried about these little headphones in my ear at this time? But again, is these little, I I think it's, you chip away at the bigger picture, right? With these little things that you do. And that's how I, I come to take life. I do these little things that I'm already conscious of. But again, my procrastination, like, oh, let me look up some good, you know, natural toothpaste with no fluoride. But then I put it off and I keep putting, oh, so many, too many selections. Oh, never mind. Put it, and then I just keep using the same toothpaste until I eventually, I went to the store the other day and I got some other toothpaste. And now I'm looking at to distill water, right? Like a, a water distiller to, to, to re- reverse osmosis or whatever, just healthier alternatives i've eliminated certain problems that i know are bad for you right because they say our body is our temple so take care of it but i'm doing it little by little and it's just again it's it's i find it i'm a hypocrite sometimes because i talk about all this stuff and then i'm not practicing these things right of like you know focus make your mind centered be be neutral do all these things i'm doing the exact opposite (laughs) sometimes you know and i don't know so knowing how how deep you can go with spirituality can also be dangerous because people can be looking at it like wow there's no end i'm never gonna Mm -hmm. get where i need to be right instead of accepting it as just learning how to be present Mm -hmm. and existing so the thing i would say for you is like it i feel like you've researched a lot about spirituality and like 
you know enough to keep yourself from getting on the path because it's it's feeling overwhelming, right? So for you, I would say one, I always talk to people about figuring out what their accomplishment mindset is. Like there, uh, there are some visual metaphors, I have a post about it that helps you kind of think about what works best for you with it. Um, but that for some people compartment, they have to compartmentalize back down to simpler steps yeah. and integrate that habit, that new neural pathway, and that feels easier to them. But for some people, the the big whole the whole big thing feels comfortable for them there is no right or wrong in this it's figuring out which one will actually allow you to get get into it and do it and feel comfortable doing the work instead of feeling like you know this is the song that never ends it's changing the mindset to it's pretty freaking cool that we live in a universe that lets me constantly evolve in whatever direction my mind will take me it's a pretty fabulous thing but yeah, if you if you're someone who like looks at spirituality and also feels overwhelmed just by the like modicum of information that's out there about spirituality, the thing I would say to everyone is start with self, right? Like ask yourself what you want from spirituality. Literally, start the rapport with the you inside of you. Stop looking, you know, out here. There is shit tons of information <laughs> about spirituality, mental health wellness, all of it, right? It It is pretty much endless. But the thing that's important for each individual is what resonates with them, what they mm-hmm. feel drawn to, what that internal intuitive voice is telling, is, you know, sharing with them is right for them. So the, if you're feeling like, oh, this is so much information, you know, don't, you don't have to consume someone else's version of what spirituality is to find a spiritual practice in daily life or to find mental wellness tools that you can apply, you know, one by one, the SUE scale is a great one that I would recommend for you to start with, right? Instead of looking at meditation and things like that, start with something that your rational mind, your logical mind, which you use a lot, will actually enjoy doing. It feels more inviting to it instead of like, you're just rejecting it completely. So things like the scale, um, also percentage of experience is another really good one that if you tend to be a more rational or analytical person is really helpful. So let's say you've been feeling pretty good or you've been doing work and you generally feel much better, but then a, a few days come along where you feel like shit and the ego tends to get really scared and like, Oh God, we're going to, are we this again? Mm. I don't want to be this again. Oh man. I really, you know, like it kind of freaks out and instead kind of looking at it from a place of observance and saying, how can I rationalize this in a way that helps me understand the truth of the situation, which is that I used to feel this way, the shitty way, 80 to 90% of the time. And now I'm at a place where I feel it 10 to 20% of the time. Statistically speaking, that's a huge improvement, right? That's actually how you can use the problem solving part of your brain to support the work that's being done to get it to see the truth of what it is instead of allowing it to be like the monkey mind problem maker that creates problems just for the sake of solving them because that gives us affirmation, right? Like a lot of us tend to do that. That's productivity bug. You know, there's lots of names for it, but it's why with most people, when they go to sit down and meditate, their thoughts are constantly drawing problems to them because every time you have a problem, your ego reacts and solves it and you go, I solved it because you feel good right again the ego feels good by oh I solved this what's next what's the next I want that next high 
of this yeah. this shot of euphoria for those you know whatever minutes right i accomplish something what's the next thing right and that's what i that's what i'm doing all the time too constantly solving problems and just on the way of solving those problems i get more problems that that pop up given the nature of the business i'm in but yeah i think that's very important to to be able to overcome that and just not complacency because that can be dangerous as well but find a spot where you're happy right i mean a balance it's all about balance which uh, sometimes life can tip the scales you know radically to one side or to the other and it's a constant battle to find that balance between everything right life work school research podcasting all this stuff where again i, I can see where people would be overwhelmed with with something like that. me being one of them i'm not saying that i'm perfect and this episode is like a again a a therapy session where a lot of the things that you said resonated with me and I want to start being more conscious of and and being able to be in that present moment which is something I work on right when uh, a a very simple stoic exercise is put your phone down when you're eating you know put your phone down because we're always connected we're always there and I find myself sometimes I put my phone down or if I take my son to the park instead of being on my phone while he's playing, watch him play, be in the moment. Don't be stuck to that screen. And again, there's these little things that I've been doing in order to better myself, my mental health, my, my, by the way, those are forms of spirituality. That's ritual, right? Mm -hmm. Like so many people assign this this sort of like crazy bigness, muchness to ritual and spirituality. That example you gave right there is still a form of ritual and spirituality. The simple act of deciding to make a ritual that every day before you sit down to eat, you're going to put your phone away, but it's serving a purpose for you. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of all of this that I, that I try to help get people to a place where they understand that ritual can also be about the way you end your day at work. So you can actually mentally leave work behind. Did I pass Mira? Did I, did I do good? <laughs> Is that, did you, would you like the affirmation? Yes. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> So this is a a funny thing, but I don't know why, like maybe it's just gift culture, but for whatever reason, whenever I feel like I'm having an ego moment where I'm like, I can sense or observe myself like wanting the yes or no from someone else. I have this like visual metaphor of um, Peter from Family Guy with the, uh, actually maybe it wasn't Peter, but there there was an episode of Family Guy where there's like, uh, I think it was James Woods maybe, but there's like, ooh, piece candy. Oh, yes, yes, ooh, the trail. <laughs> ooh, piece candy, yeah. right? So that's pretty much that's pretty much what ego does is it goes, ooh, piece candy. And then it's like, okay, now what? Ooh, piece candy. For me, um, for me, that's the when I'm doing an interview and I ask a really good question. The person's like, wow, that's a great question. I go, yes. Like the in, inside I'm like, yes. Or when I say something and I see the person's face light up because they didn't know about it or maybe they didn't connect the dots. That Those are the affirmations that I seek. And that's why I do this. And I talk to different people to bring, right? This whole podcast is about bringing new things and, and helping and hopefully- Making people the, think new thoughts. Yes, yeah, exactly. Alchemy, exactly. <laughs> transforming the thoughts of people and hopefully bringing something new to them in a way that's enjoyable and digestible and i think that you did a great job today it was very informative it's not it's not every day that you come across people who are on this sort of higher level of understanding of i know you don't like it but the matrix that we're in the simulation that we're in because it is a sci-fi world and i had a great time era 
Uh, I want to put you in touch with some people. So after the call, well, I'm going to tell you who. Uh, can you share your social media once more for the people who are interested in looking for your services or looking you up and following you on social media? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, if any of this resonated with uh, anyone today, please feel free to reach out. Uh, everything that I do in session is, you know, integrative with these sort of mental and spiritual wellness concepts and how we can marry them for the individual in a way that delivers desired results from working together. Um, you can find me at moonandrune.com is my main website or uh, on Instagram at moonandrunewellness or at nemofon is my personal account. Awesome. And I want to thank you again, Mira, for coming on and having this conversation with me. It was very insightful, very informative. And again, it resonated with me. A lot of the things I felt like you were talking about me. So I'm that's gonna... part of why I, that's part of what I do. <laughs> that's the subconscious medium thing. Oops. <laughs> so thank you so much, Mira. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. So me too. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share. And, you know, if I even changed one mind today, I feel my purpose has been delivered. So I appreciate the audience to, uh, to help me get there. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs>